Hello and welcome to DigiListen, a weekly podcast about digital service delivery for the voluntary sector. With sudden impact of coronavirus, charities, community groups, social enterprises and voluntary organisations of all sizes are shifting their service delivery into digital remote channels. We've been hosting online weekly chats with folks from all kinds of charities, experts and people on the front line about what they're learning and how charities can make use of digital to reach people more than ever before. I'm Ross McCulloch, Director of Third Sector Lab. This week we're talking about cybersecurity. Um, joining me this week on the call was Derek Gordon from PwC. Really lucky to have someone of Derek's standing join us for this one. Um, and really, cybersecurity has become a huge issue pre-COVID for charities, but actually seeing how much of an issue this has become since then, and actually the influx of requests people like Alison Stone at SCVO have been getting from charities with support around cybersecurity. So this is a really, really timely one that we've got this week. I've been working in IT now for, goodness, 20 years, but I specialise, I've always been in consultancy, I've always been helping organisations, both small, medium and, I say both, small, medium and large, all over the world, actually. But my core focus is on something called identity and access management. And, and that really is all about um, accounts, how we access applications and the access that we have within those applications. That is really critical to proving I am who I say I am. And I, I'm authorised to do the, the necessary transactions and things that I should be doing. So if you think about logging into to your bank, you don't want someone else doing that on your behalf. Um, so, so, you know, it's critical to the security of everything that surrounds us. It says here I've been involved in some prestigious projects. I don't know how, but um, I seem to have along the way. Um, so helped with, uh, you know, London Olympic Games in 2012, which was fascinating. Um, I've been involved in some of the largest deployments of identity technology uh, on the planet. So one of those was for a telco in Africa, 50 million users. So so basically, um, I've been in the industry for, for a long time. I've got a bit of a story myself in terms of how I got into the industry, but, but I set up my own company and then I sold that company. It was acquired by PwC four years ago now. And one of my core beliefs is all about making a difference. And that's not to like touch my, my pocket and feel the coins in my pocket. It's actually about making the world a better place, about helping others to grow and see their potential. And it's about making sure that we um, help others to be as secure as they can be. And I think that's particularly relevant in the third sector. So in terms of context, I wanted to share this because this is what we talk about in the kind of wider you know, industry of, of what's happening we have this digital revolution. We have, you know, I'm sure you've heard Internet Things, Cloud. I'm sure you use social media and uh, yeah, automation. So we've got this ro- robotic process automation piece. So, so certainly in, we're looking at how t- technology can help us, enable us to be better, to be quicker, to be cheaper, but also to give users a better experience so it's seamless and frictionless and, and all those great things that buzzwords that, that, that you hear. But at the simplest level, this is about making technology accessible to people wherever they are, whatever they're doing. You know, if, if it's about making, you know, looking on the internet uh, and trying to get knowledge about certain products or 
actually it's about maybe helping them in a certain situation, work environment, dangerous environment. It's, it's all about how can we use technology to make the world a better place. But as we enable that, actually the cyber risk around it, because not everyone's a good person, the cyber risk is incredible. And, it, and that is evolving, you know, the threats, the risks, the fact that we've got more connections with more devices and, and those devices are often unsecure. And the fact that we've got, you know, talent shortages in the technology industry and the fact that nation states are involved in trying to harvest this data and attack society in many ways. So, so we've got threats and, and then we're also surrounded by regulation, particularly in certain industries like FS, you know, financial services, where essentially they dictate uh, regulations that, that firms, organisations must comply with in order to do business. And I think if, if we look at that, a lot of people say, well, that's not relevant to my sector. Um, but actually, I, I, would, um, I would argue that it is, particularly in the days of COVID, if you think about it, where in a lot of cases, people were used to going into an office setting nine to five, and then they were told, OK, from tomorrow, you can't do that. So you do need to use technology. You do need to collaborate. You do need to collaborate with your colleagues, your partners, and, and, and that ecosystem of you know, network that, that you have. And also in the third sector as well, I, I see more interest around how can we use technology to offer our services and make them accessible, maybe to, to all generations, but maybe it's a particular generation, maybe it's the, the, the youth, or maybe it's the, the elderly or the vulnerable of society. So I think, I think it is very relevant. And then there's a view of, well, cyber risks, third sector, people don't target third sector. So that's interesting because they are indiscriminate. And actually, as much as they go after big companies, they also go after small. And and I've seen that personally over my 22 years of working in IT. But what, what this really hits home is these companies aren't really short of money. They aren't short of resources and they aren't short of investment in cybersecurity. And yet they have all been targeted, attacked. And compromised, and I think that that message as well. If 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 you're big, you might be a bigger target. But actually, that's not that's not entirely true because actually, it, it's the most vulnerable that they go after. We talk about um, increasing the cost of the attack, which is basically make yourself less vulnerable than someone else, and they will attack that someone else. Um, so so an industry where or firms have lots of resources and can can you know embrace that. Um, model, then that can work well for them. But but even this week, we, we read of EasyJet being compromised, 9 million customer accounts. So if you use EasyJet, please reset your password um, now. And then the other one was the supercomputer, um, Edinburgh University hosts that, and that was compromised. So they are in, indiscriminate. Are you aware of a cyber incident within your organisation in the last year? Um, obviously, there's been been some incidents, and it, it's kind of funny this because I think there was a stigma in the past that you know you wouldn't generally say I've had an incident because I have colleagues who have fallen foul of uh, phishing campaigns, and I guess they feel a bit you know silly and stupid for that. But actually, there's nothing at all to be silly or stupid about. Because um, some of these attacks are really sophisticated and the key thing is to identify it and then to take action to resolve that issue. 
So even as cybersecurity professionals, sometimes we do things that in hindsight might not have been the right thing to do. But it's actually about being open to that and, and learning from it and also equipping yourself. You know, if you're targeted in the future, hopefully you take a different course of events. Just last week, I was speaking to the NCS the UK and a national slash international charity of which you will all know um, had been uh, compromised. I won't give any details to, to them, but that was just last week. And, and I tell you this, that with COVID right now, we will see the number of cyber attacks increase over the next three months, without a doubt. And, and it's incredible that, you know, it, it really made my, my blood boil, the fact that this charity had been targeted and compromised and, and all the great work that they do. But it also made my blood boil a little bit around their response to it. And I'll share a little bit at the end around things that we can do, practical things so that, you know, um, you, you sort of don't end up in the, the same situation that they did. Who's attacking us then? You know, why is it important and, and what, what, what are they after? So we see this really in three different categories. We see it as a hacktivist. They're just out you know, for the cause, and that could be a political cause. Certain events across the years, you know, if the chap from the US that was, you know, holed up in the uh, Ecuadorian uh, consulate in, in London, and when, when that hit the news and then there was a, a arrest warrant that came out from a certain country, that country was targeted um, in terms of their services. So, so government bodies, et cetera. So there is definitely a very strong activist community that, that will you know, target certain industries at certain times. It could be the kind of climate change piece um, and some of the oil and gas industries. And when Greenpeace do certain things, they target uh, oil and gas. It can be around espionage and sabotage. It could be a nation. We see a lot of that, Iran, Russia, China. You might think that's all just made up, but actually we see it day in, day out, and, and it very much is, is real, and we'll share some examples of that in a few minutes, just around what, what happens there. And then uh, criminal activity, which is scammers simply in it for the money. And again, that, that, that's where they target the most vulnerable. Um, and often those that can't afford necessarily don't have the resources to, to defend against, but also if they are hacked into ultimately don't really, you know, they're the least in our society that can cope with, with that kind of event. So um, it's pretty horrific in terms of some of the things we see at a personal level. A bit more detail on that, you know, the criminal piece is all targeted around fraud generally or data. They, they want sensitive data that they can sell on the on dark web. Espionage, often we call this uh, ATP uh, incidents and they're just out to steal information so uh, we see a lot of that with COVID at the moment and, and also in the pharmaceutical companies being targeted uh, to see the intelligence that they have and then the hacktivist which covered off you know political motivation are just doing it for a bit of fun in terms of service disruption just causing chaos for the sake of it so that's that's who we're protecting against. Now coming back to why is that relevant in the third sector? So I, I've got two case studies here um, of incidents just over the last 12 months. And there was a question of, have you knowingly been attacked? Has there been an incident in the last 12 months? Um, so Amnesty International do a lot of great work. I often get their emails and text messages and, 
uh, we'll sign up to certain things for that. And so they were attacked by a threat actor in China. So you can imagine why that would have happened in in terms of a a major threat actor trying to get intelligence from Amnesty International. So they were trying to harvest information all about the great work that Amnesty do. Um, And that happened in March last year. And then we had St John's Ambulance, which was struck by ransomware. Um, So this was July 2019. A ransomware is essentially where somebody clicks on a link, it installs uh, something on your, your computer or device, it encrypts the data, and then it says you have to make a payment before you can access your device again. And you can imagine the, the chaos that that would have caused within St. John's Ambulance, who did, you know, again, great work. So they were able to respond swiftly, and within half an hour, they, they were able to combat that. And also provide assurance that no data had been lost or stolen. But you can imagine the impact that it would have if, if they are compromised and they don't know it and, and their sensitive data is leaking out, maybe there's fraud taking place. It can cause chaos. And I think more people are certainly aware of that situation today. Well, who's doing this? In the third sector, uh, we, we actually find for espionage and criminal threats are the two main actors. Hacktivists, less so mainly because they've got more of a conscience. And actually, they, they can say inside themselves, actually, I'm not going to target uh, these organisations. But certainly, the criminal and espionage piece, they, they just don't care. They simply do not care. So what's the impact? So TravelX were hacked uh, tail end of last year. They basically ceased business for six weeks. And then when they returned to business, they've the company lasted two weeks before it went into, I think it was insolvency or administration. So people say, well, hacks never really taken a business out. I would disagree. I think it has. And I think there's a number of cases where we can uh, directly point to a cyber incident being at the demise of that organization. So look, you might think that's all very drastic. And it is. Um, and it, it, certainly most organizations do recover from a cyber incident, but it takes a long time and it costs a lot of money and and there's a lot of pain. And like I said, I was helping an organization last week and I know the sleepless nights that they faced having to recover and investigate that attack. So these are some of the impacts. There's direct costs, obviously, around the investigation remediation. In industry, there can be sanctions. So 4% of revenue around GDPR and that's total revenue. For a breach, often when we're talking money, commercial organisations, you know, sit up and take note. And also customer redress, the fact that if you look at the moment um, of a certain airline uh, who was hacked, not not the one I mentioned, the orange one, but the, uh, the British one, uh, BA, a lot of customers are, are filing lawsuits right now using GDPR is the reason for that. So again, there's financial impact. So there's definitely the direct costs. There's also the fact if it's fraud, you will have lost money. And to try and recover that, that money will be painful and in many cases unsuccessful. There's the indirect costs, the fact that you could be paying for insurance, the fact that there could be customer fraud that results from it, the class actions that I mentioned, and just just also uh, then leading on to the intangible piece of, of the brand, will people trust you after this? 
you know, if if you're trusted for offering a service and doing things in the community that are uplifting, and actually the twenty thousand subscribers, their data has been lost. That damages your brand, your reputation. Heads have rolled as a result of cyber incidents. That's absolutely correct. And again, I've I've seen that happen. And then also competitive advantage in terms of where has your data gone? Who's using that? And actually, could they use that to provide better services? I don't think that's necessarily so relevant in the third sector market, but certainly in you know a really competitive industry landscape. So so far, I've I've talked about cyber, why it's important, some of the impacts, some some real world examples of what I've seen. But actually, the the key thing here, and I always tell people this, that it's not just a technology issue. And so what, what do I mean by that? Well, I have this pyramid graph that, that I, I use just around the fact, you know, it's around strategy, it's around people, around governance, operations. So just quickly go through these. So from a strategy standpoint, a lot of people think it won't, it won't ever happen to me. And, and look, you know, you might be lucky and you might be fine. But in all the institutions and organizations that I deal with, I would say at some point they've had a cyber breach, an incident. And so it might even be that you don't know that, that you've had one. At PwC, um, we were involved in a basically an espionage from a, a, a Chinese actor. And that had um, penetrated 40% of the global managed service providers that offer IT services. We think it was the biggest attack that um, has ever happened. And we were able to be at the co-face of that to see what data they were extracting. And what was really interesting for me was the fact that two things. One is most people didn't know their data had been compromised, when in fact it had because of the managed service provider. And the fact that the managed service provider didn't tell those clients that had been compromised. So coming back to the point, you know, you might not know it, but Actually, you might have a threat actor that is uh, has access to your systems, to your data. Today. And I think it's important that from a strategic standpoint, you understand that and you just think about what that means and how you might um, respond to it. People, people's a massive factor in security. In terms of the culture, it goes back to the earlier point of, I think, 10 years ago, um, you know, hands up, who's had a cyber breach? You would, you would have nobody. And today, if you're at a technology conference and you say, hands up, who's had a cyber breach? Probably 70 to 80% of people will put their hands up. And so the, certainly the attitude has changed, the culture's changed, we're much more open and transparent. And even with regulation like GDPR, we have to be, we have to report incidents. And governance, and the fact, you know, do we have good um, governance policies, management that surrounds you know, cyber security? Do we know what a complex password looks like? Um, do we educate um, our staff around that? Is there training, communications? Um, so that is really important that, that again, we reinforce um, the fact that cybersecurity is important and we are able to, to demonstrate that with good policies that, that, that we um, implement. And then operations, um, good housekeeping. You know, the number of organizations I deal with where we discover what we call dormant accounts. That's people that still have access to systems that left 5, 10, 15 years ago in some cases. And that's poor gov- governance because that account is still active 
And actually, in a lot of cases, the password is still the same as what it was when they left the organization. So people that actually could have left in, you know, not the best circumstances still may have access into your network. So I think good housekeeping is important. And end-to-end security, making sure that you think about security, not just in, as one thing, but you break that down and understand the key uh, and critical nature of, of the applications and data that you have and how you sort of embed this into your overall architecture. Do we have the right skills? Are the staff aware of the cyber risks? If not, you know, what would you do about that? How can you uh, reinforce good practice, good security in your organization? Do you understand the threats? Maybe, um, and I'm not trying to scaremonger, maybe you were thinking this isn't really that important, but actually, if you think about through the impact it could have on your organization, if those threats are successful in compromising your infrastructure and, and data and, and, and critical information, do you know where it's stored? Again, in a lot of cases, clients I deal with, you know, it's almost like we are, um, I, I don't like this expression, but we're telling them their baby's ugly because we do an assessment and then we point out all the things that are wrong. And, and often it's kind of like, you know, this sensitive data is on a Dropbox somewhere that, that's completely open that then people can access that from their home device or that person that left 15 years ago can still access that. So, you know, understanding what's your critical, we call it the crown jewels and critical data and making sure you've got appropriate security around that. And then connections, do you trust your partner, the ecosystem of people that you're dealing with? Um, do you test? Are you prepared for a crisis? Um, and are your processes you know, secure in data? Um, but the key thing here is none of this is technology, really. This is all aspects that, you know, culture, communications, training, awareness, all of that can help. And it's not necessarily from a technology standpoint. So what we find actually is going back to that, that slogan, increase the attack. Uh, increase the cost to the attacker. They go for the easy targets. They go for the easy points of weakness. And most of this stems from very basic uh, failures. So lack of accountability and lack of effective governance and things like, you know, risks not really being understood, the impact not being understood. So the governance aspect on the left, the people and culture, which is really critical, being able to, to ensure that people understand why this is important, make it relevant to them um, so that you can mitigate the risk. Understanding awareness around you know, poor staff awareness, gaps in organizations, patching and keeping current with, with versions, software versions, all of that. If you don't patch, if you don't have latest versions installed, that's why thinking back to some of the ransomware in the NHS, the WannaCry piece, that's why they were attacked because they had very old unpatched systems. So actually, if you think about that, um, they were compromised and it was just simply down to the fact that they had not upgraded to the latest version. And so again, that's something you know to think about and have a plan around to ensure that your systems are patched and secured. And then data, can people copy data? particularly sensitive data um, to cloud services like Dropbox or can they email that? What controls do you have in place? 
And also, do you understand what data you have? And then uh, legacy, this is just all really around um, sort of blind spots. So making sure that you think about old systems, old data, old users, and appropriately managing those so that, you know, those accounts are disabled, deleted, the data, sensitive data isn't left in open environments that anyone and everyone can access. People, unfortunately, are a weak link. And the other thing is, as a security expert, I'd always say, make sure that you don't just use one password, right? You know, you've got maybe 10, 20, 30 different systems that you log into, so use different passwords. But the reality of that is people can't remember 30 passwords. So my advice is absolutely to use a password manager. I use something like LastPass, KeyPass, store that, particularly when it comes to bank accounts and they're all different passwords. But in a lot of cases, some people have the same password. So if your password is compromised, let's say in an EasyJet attack, because if you've signed up to EasyJet, it might be that you know that database of your credentials can now be not readily accessed, but they have to hack into that. But if they're successful, they have your email address, they have your home details, they now potentially have your password. Actually, that's the same password I use for Dropbox. And that's where problems occur. Because it's easy enough for me to change my EasyJet password. But if that, that's the same password as I've reused it on 20 systems, you will have to change your password on all 20 systems. And so that's, again, a good security principle of, of why we always say don't reuse your password. Would you believe it? 81% of hacking-related breaches involve either stolen or weak passwords. So if there's one thing today to come away with, it would be ensure you have a strong password. Ensure that that password isn't reused across your same core critical system and also weak systems as well, because they will target the weakest link. They will find out your username and password and they will try to exploit all other systems and data using that information. One of my missions in life is very much to see the, the day where we can say that passwords have been removed and systems are more secure. And we can do that through, we call it multi-factor authentication. So that could be you know, a second device that you have. It can be biometrics. It's, it's a better combination of data. It can be around, you know, where is Derek today? Oh, he's in his home location. I know that because he's on the same IP address that he's always on. He's on the same device that he's always on. He's working the same hours that he's always been working for the last 10 weeks. He's used his biometric fingerprint to authenticate and he's put in a pin that he knows. I've got a high confidence that that's Derek. But actually trying to access something from an internet cafe. He's in Nigeria. He's not on the same device that he's usually on. There's no password involved. But using the, the data points that I have, I can actually give a higher confidence without even needing a password. And so I think that's where uh, security has to evolve. And today, the, the best thing we've got is multi-factor authentication. The one thing I would highlight as well at the moment is email compromise particularly around COVID, we will, we will see an enormous amount of phishing emails with malicious links of people to click through, enticing people with updates on coronavirus, um, new stats on coronavirus, maybe making it relevant to that person. And, and I've seen a use case where 
they targeted someone whose son was a diabetic, very concerned about that. And it was new research released about, you know, youngsters and diabetics and COVID. So they're very targeted attacks with phishing emails. And if, if that person clicks on it, maybe their system's not patched, it takes them to a website, they download some uh, malicious uh, content, and before you know it, you know, the, the hacker's saying job's a good one. And then, so we're definitely seeing more attacks um, around that. So just quickly in summary, and I know we've covered quite a lot today, I hope it's been, been interesting and useful. This is what I would say to people in terms of takeaways. You know, cybersecurity is, is a, a risk for all businesses in all industries. Um, it goes beyond the realms of IT, and hopefully you've picked that up in terms of people, culture, education, awareness. It's all critical. It's ever increasingly indiscriminate. They do not care. They will target anyone and everyone. And what we see is those that have tried and tested responses to an incident are the best organisations that cope. With those. I mentioned earlier that I was dealing with one last week. Their backup was 10 years old. Please, please, please ensure that you have a backup that's up to date, that you have confidence that you can restore from, and it's not on the same network devices that could be compromised. Because if they get into your network and they encrypt all of your systems, they will encrypt your backup device too. So please, please, please make sure it's up to date and off your network that it, it can be accessed securely in the event of an incident because it's cost a lot of people a lot of sleepless nights over the last week to recover that situation. And the cost is huge, not just around the disruption. If it's in the press, no one wants to be on the front of the Daily Mail with bad news, um, but the reputational damage that it will cause. So. Think about the three Ps, patching, make sure your systems are up to date. It's, it's pretty easy to do, um, actually. Um, it's, it's not that difficult. Passwords, make sure they're secure. Make sure, if you can, use a password manager. Make sure you don't reuse passwords on many of your systems. And if possible, look at multi-factor. And privilege, make sure you've got a handle on what your privilege accounts are. And, and again, that the password and process around how you access those are secure. Think about the value of information that you handle, not just the personal data. You know, I'd encourage people to have an inventory um, that, that they say, this is the critical systems, this is the critical data, and this is how we're protecting those critical systems. Consider what you would do around a major incident. Are you prepared? And the, the comment here is, you know, it used to be, if you're compromised, it's no longer the case. In cyber, we, we don't talk about when, uh, if we talk about when. And do you need training? Do a dress rehearsal? Would that be useful? Um, again, we find organisations find that immensely useful so they're prepared for it. They know what to do in that event. Ensure that third parties that you interact with, where you're sharing data, might have access to your systems. Make sure you know who they are and make sure that they're properly vetted and they're, if, if they have their laptop on, on your network, make sure that they patch, make sure that you have confidence that their device has not been compromised. We talk about cyber essentials. In PwC, we have this white paper um, just about know the game, not just the rules. And we think cyber essentials is a good pathway to help, again, in terms of raise awareness and good policy and process. But I'd encourage you all to 
to look at and know the game, not just the rules, white paper, a lot of food for thought within that. And also beyond cyber essentials, I would say in this framework, and here's a, a pointer to that, pretty helpful in terms of not just looking at what you have just now and maturity, but also where you'd like to, to go. And my last point, I've stated it, have a backup. Please, please, please take backups and make sure you know that you can recover with confidence from those backups. So some really good points in there from Derek. I particularly liked actually, you know, we're, we're kind of getting to the crux of this. Really him talking about at the end there, those three Ps, so patching, passwords and privilege. Um, and really thinking about putting those three things in place. Um, some really useful stuff, um, particularly from Alison that we heard on the call this week. So Alison Stone at SCVO um, talking about the National Cybersecurity uh, Centre's frameworks and the guidance that they've got for charities. So we'll have the link to that um, in the podcast links at the bottom as well. Um, don't forget as well, we've got the giant Google document of case studies and resources. You can also request specific digital help from SCVO if you go to the website or the link in the description. Um, and hopefully this week has helped you think about how your non-profit is going to approach security. Um, and thinking about it not just as something you outsource to your IT professional, but actually this is really a governance issue and it needs to be on that board agenda. So the link to our upcoming Zoom calls are in the description. If you Google SCVO Digital, it'll take you straight to the page as well. Um, you can find more podcasts in this series on iTunes, Spotify, and most podcast platforms. Do subscribe, review us, and send it on to anyone that you think might find it useful. Um, you can find us on Twitter, so I'm at Third Sector Lab, and you can get the SCVO Digital team on at DigiScott. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. Thanks very much to everybody who made this podcast happen. First of all, the charities who joined us in the call and shared all their wisdom. Secondly, Tech for Good Live podcast crew who brought it all together. And finally, we're part of The Catalyst, which is a UK-wide network supporting charities to make better use of digital. 